The Guardian. The conclusions of this report are absolutely clear. There is no doubt, there is nothing equivocal, there are no ambiguities. What happened on Bloody Sunday was both unjustified and unjustifiable. It was wrong. In just 16 minutes, there were 14 deaths that changed the course of British and Irish political history. These are shocking conclusions to read and shocking words to have to say. But Mr Speaker, you do not defend the British Army by defending the indefensible. So there is no point in trying to soften or equivocate what is in this report. It is clear from the Tribunal's authoritative conclusions that the events of Bloody Sunday were in no way justified. 5,000 pages, 2,000 statements, 900 witnesses and almost £200 million. Today, more than 12 years after it started, Lord Savile publishes his report on the events of Bloody Sunday 38 years ago. My brother William, we know he was innocent. We've always known. Now the world knows. And in less than 10 minutes, David Cameron did what the relatives and the people of Derry have waited for for almost four decades. Some members of our armed forces acted wrongly. The government is ultimately responsible for the conduct of the armed forces and for that, on behalf of the government, indeed on behalf of our country, I am deeply sorry. We hear from the Guardian's correspondent in 1972 who was caught up in the gunfire in what turned out to be one of the seminal events of the Troubles in Northern Ireland. There was blood gushing from his leg and then others fell and I ran on and hid behind some dustbins and people were on the ground and then a lot of them got up but some didn't get up and that was the awful thing and you see the people that weren't getting up sort of struggling to move and then stopping moving. In addition, what does this report mean for the soldiers involved? We don't know quite whether the authorities will will, um, move for prosecution. Having talked to uh, a number of the families out there today in the crowds, some would like to see prosecution down the line. And I'm Michael White here in Westminster, where I'll be getting reaction to Savile from MPs who've been listening to David Cameron. I certainly, I can't speak for anybody else, but I'm sure most other people are totally gobsmacked. Hello, this is a special podcast from Derry on the day the Bloody Sunday report was finally published. I'm Henry MacDonald, The Guardian's Ireland correspondent, and I'm standing here in the Guildhall Square, outside the building where this inquiry has been held for more than a decade. And the atmosphere in the sunlit streets of Derry today is one of euphoria. People are genuinely and pleasantly shocked and surprised at the content of the Savile report and its conclusions that the victims were innocent and that the shootings were unjustifiable. On Sunday afternoon, January the 30th, 1972, a banned civil rights march began in the Bogside, an area just outside Derry city centre. The army mounted an arrest operation for suspected IRA members and rioters. Several hours later, 27 people had been shot. What happened in between has been the subject of bitter debate ever since. 14 people died following the events of that day 38 years ago, seven of them teenagers. It was one of the most significant events of the Troubles and boosted recruitment for the provisional IRA. The publication of the report was watched by thousands of people on huge television screens set up in Derry's Guildhall Square. British Prime Minister David Cameron made a long-awaited statement to the House of Commons. The conclusions of this report 
are absolutely clear. There is no doubt, there is nothing equivocal, there are no ambiguities. What happened on Bloody Sunday was both unjustified and unjustifiable. It was wrong. Lord Savile concludes that the soldiers of the support company who went into the bog side did so as a result of an order which should not have been given by their commander. He finds that on balance the first shot in the vicinity of the march was fired by the British Army. He finds that none of the casualties shot by the soldiers of support company was armed with a firearm. He finds that there was some firing by Republican paramilitaries, but none of this firing provided any justification for the shooting of civilian casualties. And he finds that in no case was any warning given by soldiers before opening the fire. He also finds that support company reacted by losing their self-control, forgetting or ignoring their instructions and training, and with a serious and widespread loss of fire discipline. He finds that despite the contrary evidence given by the soldiers, none of them fired in response to attacks or threatened attacks by nail or petrol bombers. And he finds that many of the soldiers, and I quote, knowingly put forward false accounts in order to seek to justify their firing. What's more, Lord Savile says that some of those killed or injured were clearly fleeing or going to the assistance of others who were dying. The report refers to one person who was shot while crawling away from the soldiers. Another was shot, in all probability, when he was lying mortally wounded on the ground. And the report refers to the father who was hit and injured by army gunfire after he had gone to tend to his son. For those looking for statements of innocence, Savile says, the immediate responsibility for the deaths and injuries on Bloody Sunday lies with those members of support company whose unjustifiable firing was the cause of those deaths and injuries. And crucially, that, and I quote, none of the casualties was posing a threat of causing death or serious injury, or indeed was doing anything else that could, on any view, justify their shooting. For those people who were looking for the report to use terms like murder and unlawful killing, I remind the House that these judgments are not matters for a tribunal or for us as politicians to determine. Mr Speaker, these are shocking conclusions to read and shocking words to have to say. But Mr Speaker, you do not defend the British Army by defending the indefensible. We do not honour all those who have served with such distinction in keeping the peace and upholding the rule of law in Northern Ireland by hiding from the truth. So there is no point in trying to soften or equivocate what is in this report. It is clear from the Tribunal's authoritative conclusions that the events of Bloody Sunday were in no way justified. I know that some people wonder whether nearly 40 years on from an event a Prime Minister needs to issue an apology. For someone of my generation, Bloody Sunday and the early 1970s are something we feel we have learnt about rather than lived through. But what happened should never, ever have happened. The families of those who died should not have had to live with the pain and the hurt of that day and with a lifetime of loss. Some members of our armed forces acted wrongly. The government is ultimately responsible for the conduct of the armed forces and for that on behalf of the Government, 
Indeed, on behalf of our country, I am deeply sorry. And so today, that 5,000-page report in 10 volumes has finally been released. More than 2,000 people gave testimony. 922 were called to give evidence, generating an estimated 30 million words. At the end of 12 years of investigation, costing £191 million, here are some of the main findings of Lord Savile's report. Shootings were unjustified and unjustifiable. That all the 14 victims who were killed were innocent, and that those that were shot and wounded were also innocent. It also concluded that it was the army that fired first, despite claims by soldiers that they were fired on by Republican paramilitaries. And one final surprising development in this day was the generous reaction of the Derry people to David Cameron's statement in the House of Commons, which some in the streets described as almost statesmanlike in terms of accepting the guilt of uh, what happened on the day and the apology given to the people of Derry for Bloody Sunday. From Guardian.co.uk, this is Guardian Daily. The relatives were the first to be shown the Savile report this morning. Just before David Cameron delivered his statement to the House of Commons, a number of families gave thumbs-up signs out of the windows of the Guildhall, signalling to those below that they were satisfied with the report's conclusions. And as the families left the Guildhall, they gave their moving reaction in front of thousands waiting in the square. This is a historic day for Daring. I would like to thank all of your patience, as we, have, as we have all had patience for this past 38 years. But today, the waiting has come to an end. Jackie was innocent. And the parachute regiment has been disgraced. Their medals of honour have to be removed. Today the truth has been told. I say now to my little brother Michael, loving mother and father, at least you can rest in peace forever. 38 years ago, a story went around the world, concocted by General Mike Jackson. He said there was gunmen and bombers in our streets, and they were shot. Today, that line has been uncovered. I quote, Corporal P claimed a man with a pistol shot at a man with a pistol, J at a man with an A-bomb, and Corporal E at a man with a pistol. We reject each of these claims as knowingly untrue. William, we know he was innocent. We've always known. Now the world knows. John Young was going to the aid of William Nash when he was shot. We are sure he was not armed with any lethal weapon. John Young was innocent. 38 years, 4 months, 15 days, Almost to the minute, Kevin is innocent. Our brother 
Roy McGinney is innocent. As he lay there defenseless and dying, he was deliberately shot again. The Savile report stated clearly that there was no justification for either of these two shots. This inquiry has vindicated the Ray family, and much more so the people of today. Today, the world has been told, my uncle was innocent. We are sure, sure your children have killed Barney McGuigan from a kneeling position. Barney McGuigan pulls no threat whatsoever and will be celebrating his 80th birthday tomorrow were it not for soldier death. The truth is out, Barney is innocent. Let's put a picture together of how Bloody Sunday actually unfolded. The Guardian's then Ireland correspondent, Simon Winchester. He was caught up in the gunfire. He now lives in New York, and we've brought him back to the city he hasn't visited since giving evidence to the Savile Inquiry back in 2002. He tells us the day of the Civil Rights March is still firmly etched in his memory. The demonstration began more or less on schedule at about half past two, and um, I was inside the... Uh, inside the army barricades. It was the Royal Green Jackets, um, had about 15 barricades, I think. Um, so I tried at one stage to get out, but the soldiers said, no, you jolly well take what's coming to you. I sort of remembered that as a somewhat ominous remark. So I stuck around with the demonstrators, and then at about um, quarter to five to three, I think, it, no, five to four, I do remember thinking things are feeling a bit more ominous. There were a number of youths clearing a path, I thought, for possibly the technique I'd seen before, telling people to get down, get away, to give someone on their side, as it were, a clear line of fire. So I thought, well, there may be a, a gun surviving. Maybe it's an official as opposed to a provisional IRA gun. And sure enough, at about, um, about four o'clock, there was just, as I recall it, one gunshot. Um, and I noted the time and, and thought, well, maybe there is going to be a bit of sniping. But then someone said, quick, quick, the, the, the speeches are beginning. Bernadette is standing up on the back of the McGlinchey's coal lorry, as I recall. And so she and Lord Brockway, who were, I mean, terrible bloviators, I sort of knew what they were likely to say. And I wasn't terribly interested. But in a sort of half-hearted way, I walked over to where they were talking. And then shouting started soldiers coming soldiers quick quick the soldiers and people started screaming and people started running and then i saw the pigs the armored cars the saracens coming in very fast um, down william street rossville street and then soldiers pouring out of them and lying on the ground and starting taking up aiming positions so i started to run and in common with everybody else and they started there was shooting a lot of very heavy thudding shooting and people started dropping and someone next to me that I was 
running with suddenly fell over and I turned around and I could see that there was blood gushing from his leg and then others fell and I ran on and hid behind some dustbins and looked around and people were on the ground and then a lot of them got up but some didn't get up and that was the awful thing and you see the people that weren't getting up sort of struggling to move and then stopping moving and you know there's this awful realization that people are being shot and uh, then it got extremely confusing and very panicky and it was a question of running falling running falling seeing other people falling and being hit and then I got into a, a, a doorway and uh, from there I when there was another lull I went up somewhat up below to a point on um, Farn Street was it anyway just below the city walls and then I could get a bit of a, a sort of perspective I could see the Paris in position I could see the crowds who by now were off the streets except for these three or four that were lying either wounded or, or, or dead and um, then I had this horrible experience of I was certain that someone I saw the soldier taking aim I was with her there was a 16 year old boy with me and he said, look, they're shooting at us. And I sort of couldn't believe it. But then I saw his arm move and I fell to the ground instantly. And I don't know what I gave this testimony to the Savile Inquiry. I don't know whether it'll be regarded as nonsense or not. But definitely, as far as I was concerned, anyway, there was a shot and a piece of masonry from the wall sort of shattered down beside me. And then I ran again and took shelter in a church. And then things calmed down. And then about 10 minutes later, when it appeared that the soldiers had withdrawn, I, or at least the Paris had withdrawn, I went down and started seeing people picking up the injured and the, and the dead and putting them in cars and sending them off to hospital. Here at Westminster, I'm Michael White. I've just stepped out of the Prime Minister's very sombre statement on the Savile Report, uh, 5,000 pages of it into Bloody Sunday, January the 30th, 1972. House of Commons, intensely quiet, barely a ripple. You could hear a pin drop. This is a day of huge moment and uh, deep emotion in Derry. Uh, the people of my city didn't just live through Bloody Sunday. They have lived with it uh, since. And will the Prime Minister agree that this is a day to receive and reflect on the clear verdicts of Savile and not pass party verdicts on Savile? And the key verdicts are, despite the contrary evidence given by soldiers, we have concluded that none of them fired in response to attacks or threatened attacks by nail or petrol bombers. No one threw or threatened to throw a nail or petrol bomb at the soldiers on Bloody Sunday. Further, a further verdict, none of the casualties was posing any threat of causing death or serious injuries. And also, of course, that the British Army fired the first shots, and these, those shots were not justified, and none of the subsequent shots that killed or wounded anyone on Bloody Sunday was justified. And also, the report, in rejecting so much of the soldiers' submissions and false accounts, it highlighted where the victims were shot in the back or crawling on the ground, or shot again when already wounded on the ground. And can the Prime Minister can confirm each and every one of those victims, Bernard McGuigan, 41, Jared Donaghy, 17, Hugh Gilmore, 17, John Doddy, 17, James McKinney, 34, 
James Ray, 22. John Young, 17. Kevin McElhinney, 17. Michael Kelly, 17. Michael McDade, 20. Patrick Doherty, 31. William McKinney, 27. William Nash, 19. And John Johnson, 59, are all absolutely and totally exonerated by today's report. Mark Durkin there talking about the, uh, the healing impact of, of, of history. It's still going on, uh, but I've come out to uh, catch MPs who've heard some of it and have gone on to do other business. Uh, here's uh, Angus Robertson, parliamentary uh, leader of the SNP uh, here in Westminster. I thought there was an interesting echo because, of course, every week we hear the names of British service personnel who are killed on duty read out by the Prime Minister at PMQs, and today we heard the name and ages of all those who died who were innocent uh, on Bloody Sunday. So, uh, having heard uh, the statement, uh, having heard the reply from colleagues from Northern Ireland, I'm sure everybody uh, wishes for the best that people are able, now that they've had this absolutely um, unequivocal report, uh, to move forward and that it uh, supports the emerging uh, robust peace process that we have in Northern Ireland. Uh, uh, Mark Durkin, another phrase you used was the healing of history. It made me think of Tony Blair's famous uh, uh, hand of history. It wasn't entirely clear that everybody wanted to. Uh, Gregory Campbell, the uh, uh, DUP MP, reminded anybody who didn't really need to be reminded that the IRA killed a lot of people and that Martin McGuinness, according to Savile, was armed with a Thompson submachine gun in Derry that day, though uh, he did not, as Mr Cameron said, did not use in any way to justify what the soldiers did, whatever that means. Do you think you're perhaps being a little optimistic, despite this remarkable statement from David Cameron? I think you can only really come from Derry, know the people who are involved, or come from Northern Ireland more generally and be aware from the perspectives of both communities how deep the wounds of the, uh, of the violence, the troubles in Northern Ireland have been. So I find it unsurprising that there are people from the other side of the community uh, who want to point out um, some of the terrible atrocities that were committed uh, in the name of Irish republicanism. Uh, I, I'm not surprised by that, but today's statement was about Savile, it was about Bloody Sunday, and the result of the inquiry, I well, I certainly, I can't speak for anybody else, but I'm sure most other people are totally gobsmacked uh, about the unequivocal nature of the inquiry, and one really has to hope that people will take that on board. Cameron handled it well. I think so. I think uh, uh, it's one area of government policy uh, where I think there has been bipartisan, so both from the former Prime Minister Tony Blair and I am one of his strongest critics, um, and now of David Cameron, and I'm very critical of Conservative governments being a Scottish nationalist. Was a wobble, wasn't it? Yeah, but I think uh, the, the, the future of Northern Ireland will be determined by people who live there, yeah. uh, and I think it's not for uh, somebody from my part of the world or for somebody uh, elsewhere on the British mainland to determine where the people of Northern Ireland's future should lie. What I think this report, and we shouldn't get our head, uh, ahead of ourselves when it comes to the rhetoric that's used, but I, I think Bloody Sunday is absolutely defining in the modern history of Northern Ireland, uh, from whichever perspective people come. And I think this report will hopefully allow people to understand the truth of the circumstances uh, and allow it to underline the importance of a peace process that pe sees people of both traditions 
uh, including formerly violent traditions as part of the, uh, the democratic process. And if that stands as a testament to those people who died on Bloody Sunday, something has come out of it that is worthwhile. David Davis, what do you think of that? Well, it was a very statesmanlike uh, statement by both uh, David Cameron and by Harriet Harman on a, what must be one of the most incredibly serious issues uh, ever to come in front of a judicial inquiry. Uh, the difficulty, of course, which I think was in everybody's mind, is what happens next. I mean, everybody realises that this was a terrible failure of uh, uh, one unit of the British Army, let the army down, let the country down. Um, but but uh, is this going to be the first start of a reconciliation process or of a recrimination process? What did you take from reactions from other MPs in the chamber? Because it was a bit equivocal. Even the people who were very hostile, the DUP man said, let's put it behind us. Yeah, well, that's right. And I think that's what everyone wants to do. I mean, we're all conscious that there were many murders, not, not just unlawful killings. In this. There were many murders in the course of that period. 27, I think, IUC and UDR officers or soldiers were... Uh, and men were killed in Londonderry that year, mm. uh, in County Derry uh, that year. Uh, but uh, nobody wants to resurrect all that. Nobody wants to start all all that recrimination again. Thank you. Very much. Now, uh, Julian Lewis, one of your colleagues, made an interesting point, and I thought David Cameron an interesting answer in saying, "Well, of course, um, all those people were killed uh, uh, by the IRA." And then, in response. Uh, David Cameron said, we don't want moral equivalence. These soldiers were meant to be acting under the law. Will that uh, uh, resonate with satisfaction through the Tory party? They seemed a bit unenthusiastic for what the Prime Minister was telling them. Well, I, th I think the difficulty the Prime Minister has is he quite properly cannot uh, influence in any way any decision to prosecute or not prosecute, uh, even decision to bring a civil prosecution. Uh, or a civil action. So he is very carefully avoiding that ground and that's he's right to do that. So there we are. I was talking to a left-wing MP who doesn't do interviews who said that the Tory reaction to David Cameron's very forthright statement, I thought Cameron did well, uh, was one of utter silence. He said, turning point for Cameron, they hate to admit that the army does anything wrong. The only ripple of interest uh, and support came was when when Mr. Cameron mentioned uh, the fact that Martin McGuinness was armed in Derry that day. So, um, not sure he's right about that. I thought it was mainly funereal, somber mood, which accounted for the lack of cheers and vocal support. But uh, there we are. Now back to John Dennis, who's talking to Richard Norton Taylor, Guardian Security Editor, on wider reaction. Well, I think some people may be um, surprised by the cautious language, in some ways the cautious conclusions of Savile's report, but it is pretty damning if you, if you get past the possibilities and the, and, the, and the probabilities he starts his report with. He says, for example, there's no justification for any of the shootings. All those uh, who were killed on Bloody Sunday were unarmed. He says some of the soldiers lied about their fears that uh, their victims were um, armed. Some genuinely believed, it appears, that their uh, victims had nail bombs or had arms. And also he lays into just one officer, the commander of one para. So basically Saville, one should accept that he's a, he's a law lord, he's a, he's a senior judge, and his prose is, is, is quite deliberate and cautious. But he does not pull the punches when it generally comes to what he calls the out-of-control soldiers of one para, the 1st Battalion Parachute Regiment, and the uh, commander of that regiment, Colonel Wilford, 
who really is criticised very, very strongly. But the top generals who were speaking tremendously sort of aggressive rhetoric at the time, like General Ford, who was commander of all British forces in Northern Ireland at the time, are cleared as are Edward Heath and all the politicians, Edward Heath, the Prime Minister at the time. He says there's no evidence that the shootings were premeditated or that there was a cover-up. He says there's no concerted cover-up by the government, if you like, by government figures and senior officials. But he also says because he says they lied, that soldiers did not tell the truth in evidence to the inquiry, in evidence to Savile. That is perjury, actually. So th- th- they could be in trouble. Now, we, we, we don't know what's going to happen uh, on the, in terms of the, any potential prosecution. It's going to be really difficult, I think, because of the, the, uh, the evidence a long time ago it was and so on and so forth. But basically, it is, it is very, very critical of the individual soldiers, sympathetic, therefore, about the, the families uh, of the victims, and that's why I think that it, it seems to have got quite a good uh, response in uh, Derry this afternoon. And I think people welcomed David Cameron's very strong use of language in his um, speech, in his statement to the, the Commons, and of course much uh, stronger language by the Prime Minister than in, the, in this rather narrative approach, even in the 60-page summary that Savile has out of the total 5,000 pages. It was a long time ago. Uh, We don't know, as you've said, whether there will be any prosecutions of soldiers, but what do you think the implications are for the armed forces? I think they'd be a bit relieved, actually, I think, because of, again, the the language that that Sowell uses. He focuses on one regiment, one power regiment. The actual military commander of Derry in that district at the time, uh, Brigadier Andrew McLennan, is very much praised... It's a, it's a colonel of the para, the commander of the paras who gets criticised for disobeying his superior's orders. Also, General Ford, I say, is, is basically um, defended. There's no, no picture of a systemic, if you like, culture, and these people are going out to any, any soldier in Northern Ireland. It's so unsympathetic to the Republic, if you like, um, that they're going to shoot them at any possible moment. He does not say that. In fact, in fact the Savile report is very far from saying that. So I suppose the army now will be, uh, will be relieved uh, to hear that, they say that none of the um, paras are still in the army. None of the people who were in the army in, uh, in Bloody Sunday in Derry that day uh, are still in the army. Rather like they've said about Iraq too, out of, you know, there's been some rotten apples or whatever, there's some cases, as we know, of how British soldiers in Iraq have uh, abused Iraqi civilians in, in, uh, in custody, one or two cases. They'll say that's rotten apples too, but I mean, there is, you know, they will say that uh, there are only a few rotten apples in the, in the thousands of uh, soldiers who have served in Iraq, as indeed the thousands who served over such a long time in Northern Ireland. Welcome back to Derry. I'm Henry MacDonald and I'm with Owen Bolcott, who used to be The Guardian's Ireland correspondent in the 1990s. Owen, it's been a, an unprecedented day, really, and there are sights and sounds that I'd ever expect to have seen here in Derry. Yes, I mean, the, the mood in the square outside the Guildhall was uh, almost euphoric. I mean, they were, they were absolutely delighted. And cheering the words of a British and Conservative Prime Minister, would you ever have believed that would happen in the streets of Derry, close to the Bogside? No, I mean, it's extraordinary to see people. Um, we're, we're a lot of years into the, the peace process, so maybe some of these uh, events and uh, sites are, are less surprising. But um, nonetheless, extraordinary to see a Conservative um, Prime Minister being cheered by the crowds, um, who, you know, most of his political sympathies are undoubtedly probably Republican, um, and who feel very strongly and, and uh, have nursed their grievances over decades. But beyond the euphoria of the day, there are 
more questions to be asked, such as what's going to happen in relation to the soldiers? Will there be prosecutions? Will people take civil actions, like the Uma families, uh, the bloody Sunday families, will they take civil cases against uh, individual soldiers? So it's, it's not the final chapter, not the final, final closing page, is it? No, I mean, some of these um, legal proceedings could become very protracted and um, we, we don't know quite whether the authorities will, will um, move for prosecution. Having talked to uh, a number of the families out there today in the crowds, um, most of them for today are content that um, their relatives um, and loved ones have been vindicated and have been shown not to be um, involved, uh, to have been involved in violence. Um, but some would like to see prosecution down the line. And you were saying to me earlier a little personal note that some of them are now, after all the euphoria and the celebration, they were going off to visit their loved ones who, who are no longer with them. Yes, um, I, I spoke to uh, one of the um, one of the uh, brothers of, of one of the men who died, um, and he was saying that um, I mean he wished his mother and father had been there today to see uh, their son's name cleared. Um, that was uh, Leo Young. Um, his younger son John was uh, on the march with him, and his mother had sent him out and said, "Look after him." Uh, when the shooting started, he said Leo said that he'd helped some of the other wounded people, and he didn't know what had happened to his brother. Uh, and it turned out that John had been shot on the barricade. He'd been trying to crawl out when um, William Nash, another young man, had been shot beside him. He'd been trying to crawl out, he said, to help him. Um, and he learned afterwards that some other man on the barricade had tried to grab his, his younger brother's coat to pull him back to, in safety behind the barricade. But he missed him. He, he couldn't grab him. And the soldier shot him through the eye and killed him. And uh, Leo said tonight that he would, uh, he'd be going up to the city cemetery where his parents are buried. Um, and he'd, he'd go and talk to them and reassure them that at least they knew his, their son had, had, had been proved innocent. Owen, well, we've been reporting this political story for a very, very long time. And Martin McGuinness has been a key feature of it, both as a militant in the Republican movement and latterly as a key player in the peace process and pushing the Republican movement out of the cul-de-sac of arms struggle and into constitutional politics. Today, the message about Martin McGuinness was slightly ambiguous, wasn't it? The, the report contained positives and negatives for the Deputy First Minister of Northern Ireland. I mean, he's, his immediate reaction, but he's very satisfied on behalf of the families that he felt they'd been vindicated in their campaign, heroic campaign, as he termed it, had been um, rewarded fairly. Um, I asked him how he felt um, about the passages where uh, Lord Savile referred to his presence on the march, uh, where um, it, it, it reports that uh, there were allegations that um, Martin McGuinness was carrying a Thompson submachine gun. At the time, he was the second in command, the adjutant of the provisional IRA in Derry, in the city. He'd obviously read that passage very closely. Um, naturally, yeah. <laughs> naturally, he's very animated um, about it. But he took great satisfaction, as, as he has always contended, that he, did, he, I mean, he maintains he, he didn't open fire that day. And he he points out that a lot of the allegations came from unnamed um, army agents um, whose allegations he, he thinks were politically motivated. Um, and, and he's satisfied that Lord Savile's comments specifically on his role say that there, isn't, there was no evidence whatsoever that um, anything he did had paid any part in provoking the soldiers to open fire. And, and so he's satisfied on that point, I think. Thanks, Owen. And that's it for this special podcast from Derry on a very special day, on a day when the British government admitted it had killed its own citizens. Now, you can add your thoughts and opinions on today's report on our blog, guardian.co.uk forward slash guardian daily. Thanks to Michael White in Westminster. 
This podcast was produced by Andy Duckworth in Derry and Phil Maynard in London. I'm Henry MacDonald, and thank you for listening. We say to those in official decisions in government, we must now decide how to react to the conclusions of the Saddle Inquiry. We say to them only this, that our struggle was for the truth and for justice which only truth can bring. Let the light of that be your guide, the light of your justice. Let justice be done, let justice be done, will the heavens fall. Thank you. We have more hope. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.